Welcome to Bethel World Outreach Church. Our values are devotion, diversity, and discipleship. Devotion through honoring God by trusting His Word, praying, and worshiping together. Diversity by embracing God's heart for every nation. And discipleship by helping others follow Jesus. So join us as we're reaching a city to touch the world. Good. Hallelujah. Okay. I had the privilege this week to be taking a trip down memory lane and I began to think about how I spent my Saturday mornings as a young man and I spent my Saturday mornings watching Saturday morning cartoons. Can I get an amen for Saturday morning cartoons? Praise God. And so I, I was going down a list of my favorite uh, cartoons growing up and I just thought I'd, I'd, I'd want to see because there's a top, there's a list of a hundred, you know, of the top. And I just want to see as we start this message, like, like you know, you know, what's yours? So, so just, just shout out. So what, what was your Saturday morning cartoon? Huh? Didn't make the top 100. Uh, what was yours? Fat Albert. Fat Albert. Definitely didn't make the top 100, but I love that you uh, like Fat Albert. Hey, hey, hey. Okay. Huh? Roll Runner. He didn't make it. They definitely didn't make it. Who? Who? Transformer. See, that's the she. See, she young. See that that made it. Who? Now, now let's just test it out this generation because y'all yelling out stuff that that didn't make the list, so that y'all showing your age. Showing your age. Bryson, what was your top cartoon when you were growing up? Where are all my 90s kids at? We're talking Hey Arnold. We're talking Recess. We're talking Rugrats. All of those made the top 100. That's right. Woody Woodpecker didn't make it. Mighty Mouse didn't make it. Deputy Dog didn't make it. Definitely Felix the Cat didn't make it. All them people didn't make it. But, but, but my number one cartoon that I thought about before this message that I needed to make it that didn't make it was Popeye the Sailor Man. He got a restaurant, Popeye's chicken. How he not gonna make it? He didn't make it. You know, and the thing I love about Popeye, why I cho chose Popeye, because you know that feeling when you have to deal with a bully like Brutus, who's always messing with you, messing with your girl, frustrating your life. He always end up tied up on the railroad tracks, you know, under some debris. He was all in a situation. But when he got to the point, where he had all he could stand and he could not stand no more. That can of spinach would come out. He eat that spinach, I'm Popeye to say, he grow the muscles and he take care of Brutus. There's a point in life that you get to where you had all you can stand and you can't stand no more and you will come out of character. And the small part of you that's a defender or maybe prone to, to, to fight that's so deeply suppressed will come out of you and say, if a fight is what you want, then a fight is what you're going to get. Because I've had all I can stand. Does anybody relate to this? And I can't stand no more. It's over. Yeah. The United States of America, as we come upon July 2nd, 
really July 4th, the 2nd is when the Declaration of Independence was really formally ratified. But the 4th is when we celebrate that Declaration of Independence was the point in life where they had to make the statement, we've had all we can stand. We can't stand no more. And so we are declaring our independence and our right to it. In reality, sometimes we define it as the birthplace of declaring independence, but it's happened through all human history. But perhaps we've done more as a people to declare our independence from God than any other place. And if America has the right to claim something, that right sometime in the physical will also drip over into the spiritual because it's something about not wanting to be ruled by anything or anybody. Yes, America declared their independence from Great Britain, but have we declared independence from God? And it's not, it's beyond your mouth is where your actions line up. And so we're going to look at Galatians 5, verse 1, and we're going to try to preach out of one verse that speaks to this whole idea of independence. When I put it up on the screen, I'm going to say, ready, read, and I want you to go ahead with some power, clarity. I really want you to read this one strong. It's only one verse. Ready, Read. Say it again. Read. He who the Son sets free is free indeed. The reality of life is, as free as we are, we can sometimes all live in bondage. Paul was dealing with a group of people who, even though they had been exposed to the gospel, of Christ that should set them free, that should make them free from the snare of their own sin, free from the snare of, of people, free from the snare of the world, the enemy. It should make them profoundly free. They found themselves in bondage. And some of the things that put them in bondage is the need to please other people. Something about our Christianity, it's not good enough to receive the free gift of salvation and declare your freedom in Christ. We need other human beings to approve of our life and our lifestyle in order to feel like we have actually gained the freedom that comes within salvation through Jesus Christ and Christ alone. In the first two chapters, you see Paul laying out apologetic for his own life that had been in Judaism that wasn't enough to save him. All of his rigorous works all of the things that he did to earn the right to be considered saved and secure was not enough. He then, in the next few chapters, lays out the biblical apologetic that, that life simply summed up is by grace alone, by faith alone, through Christ alone. That him alone can do it. And then he's going to set the record straight because he's dealing with trying to dismiss the culture of the Jews or the Judaizers within the Jewish group who knew that they were the promised 
promise who actually received Jesus, but after they received Jesus, any of the Gentiles who came in, they wanted them to conform to Judaism and the rituals and the rites and all of the works that they did and get Christ. So they were giving the new believers a perverted version of the gospel. It was Christ plus something instead of Christ Jesus alone. And Paul, by the fifth verse, after he set it all up, He's going to give you his statement that says, I've had all I can stand, and I can't stand no more. He says, read it again, for freedom, Christ, good. You can't submit again. Once I'm free, I'm free. The spirit of truth is here to set you free. Christ is here to set you free. And so whenever someone else brings you into another ideology except your freedom, you have to reject it. Were the people that were Jewish bad people? No, but they were having a bad practice. Um, were they sincere in their effort? Yes, but their sincerity was leading them to a bad place. You can be sincere and sincerely wrong. Does Christ want you to live right? Yes. Does he want you to be, but he wants it from a transformational state. You can't come to Christ having got everything right. You come to Christ because you've got everything wrong and you need his help to make it right. You're not coming for him to make you a good, to approve of your good moral life. You know, I made the biggest mistake in my life as I received salvation and I got into a works or in pharisaical mentality when I was first, first born again. And so the way I preached the gospel was about how people needed to change their life and, and, and to conform and all the rules they need, needed to keep. And I was always dismissing the free gift of salvation, which is by grace alone. That means that Christ Jesus knows everything you've ever done and still chooses you. He knows everything you're currently thinking and doing that's shady. And he knows that in the future, you're going to be prone to do that same jacked up, messed up stuff. And he's still saying, I know, but I'm going to give you my life in exchange for your life. I'm going to be wounded for your transgressions, bruised for your iniquities, the chastisement that brings peace. It's going to be on me. And, and by my stripes, you're going to be healed. I'm going to give you everything that pertains to life. I'm going to just give to you. So instead of having the joy of salvation, we kind of get saved and figure out how we can maintain that sa saved or salvation status. You cannot. In fact, if you got born again thinking that it required Christ plus you and what you do, You've not experienced the pure gospel. And I, and I know it's almost difficult because when we're taught that when something sounds too good to be true, it's probably not the gospel. It's that thing that's too good to be true, that's true. And it's powerful. Why aren't Christians more joyful? They don't believe the gospel. David had to say, return unto me the joy of myself. That means on your worst day, 
when everything has just gone completely left and it's all your fault, you should look to the Lord Jesus Christ and the free gift he gave to you and say, I'm sad that happened, but I'm glad he's in my life because he's already paid the price. It's not an excuse to sin. It's not like he's still not going to chastise you, but he has given you life and he's not taking it back. When you get to the point where you understand he who the son says free is free indeed, it's a, it's a powerful place. What were they trying to do though? In James chapter two, this is what they were trying to do. Do two verse 10 said, whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become guilty of it all. For he who said do not commit adultery also said do not murder. If you do not commit adultery but you murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. Well, so you're not good at doing it. Galatians 5 and, 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 and 2, if you look further down from this verses, Paul was trying to lay out for them the apologetic for why they didn't need to live this way. He says, look, I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. I testify again to every man who has accepted circumcision that he is obligated, he is obligated to keep the whole law. So if you want to try to do it based on your works, then God's saying get it perfect all the time. You, you, you serve, you are severed from Christ. You who would be justified by the law, you have fallen away from grace. For through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything. Only faith working through love. You are saved by faith. This concept seems to be a lost narrative, but I venture to say, when you declare independence over your sin, you're also declaring dependence on God. You can't, you, when you say, no, 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 I'm, I'm breaking free, Christ is the only one who can set you free, but now you're dependent upon him. And the next verse gives us the clue. He says, so therefore, stand firm, therefore. Here's the difficult part of it all. Once you get freedom, when you're in Christ, what you do to maintain that freedom's reality in your life is stand on it. What they had to do, the founding fathers had to do, as soon as they declared themselves independent, they had to fight for it. And somehow, we conflate that. We believe when we get into Christ, we need to fight for it like they fought for it instead of stand in it. It's, it's, it's counterintuitive. They had to fight for their freedom. Whereas, whereas when, G, when God was delivering uh, the children of Israel from the Egyptians, he said, stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. The Egyptians you see today, you'll see no more now forever. God knows how to summarily deliver. But if you're your own deliverer long enough, if you pull yourselves up by your own bootstraps long enough, if you depend on the rule of law as the reason why you have a justifiable position to get what you want, if you b believe in just human nature or, or, or like we say, uh, we've been endowed by a creator by certain unalienable rights, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Now, I know that's a good concept in, in general, and I don't, I don't reject it, but it's not necessarily completely scripture. 
I'm sorry. It's just good. But they have to go, and, 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 and our founding father in our nation was not all bad. They knew that they had, they had corruption within, and they didn't deal with everything in, in, in their particular constitution. They, they had times of fasting and praying. They was dependent on God. They were taking such a stand that they put their whole, whole stuff up for grabs. They were taking a, a, such a stand that the declaration itself had 26 accusations against Great Britain, Britain and his king. 26. Taxation without representation, corrupt uh, legal count. They had all these things that were a treatise for why that they, they had the right to say that. They had to stand. Paul was in the same situation, and he ended up having to go. I want you to see this in your own Bible. He ended up having to go because when you make a, when you make a stand, you might have to stand against, against someone who's in opposition of what the gospel is about. I love how Paul always said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of God, it's power. It's the power of God unto salvation. And I think there's something's being missed with the gospel. Well, watch how Paul had to deal with Galatians uh, chapter two, verse, 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 verse three, he said, but even Titus who was with me was not forced to be circumcised, though he was a Greek. Yet because of false brethren secretly, secretly brought, brought in, Who's, who slipped in to spy on our freedom that we had in Christ Jesus so that they might bring us into slavery. To them we did not yield in submission even for a moment so that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for us. Verse 11, but when Peter came to Antioch, I had to oppose him to his face so that he, so for what he did was very wrong. When he first arrived, he ate with the Gentile believers who were not circumcised, but afterward, when some friends of James came, Peter wouldn't even eat with the Gentiles anymore. He was afraid of the criticism from the people who insisted on the necessity of circumcision. Verse 13, as a result, other Jew, Jewish believers followed Peter's hypocrisy, and even Barnabas was led astray with their hypocrisy. You know. Here's the thing, that taking a stand sometimes means you have to stand against the establishment. You have to stand up for what is right. Paul is not standing up for himself. He's standing up. He's not standing up because of a legal right. He's standing up because the, the greatest human right is being violated, and that's the, the, the right to know the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, unadulterated. He knew that something was being perverted, and he had to stand up against Peter, the leader of the, of the, of the church at the particular time. Our nation had to stand up against tyranny uh, at the time. Will you take a stand? But, 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 but just because in the earthly sense, you stand up in one thing and it's right, doesn't mean the whole of your life is right. That means you can have a single issue right and you can have 10 things you need to correct as, as, you, as you stand up. I mean, Fred, I know that, that like when we're singing, I'm, I'm proud to be an American, I know that not everybody is proud to be an American. You know, because when I say, because at least I know I'm free, I know some people still feel like they're in bondage. Uh, you know, in the nation. I know that Frederick Douglass, when, if you, if you Google the speech he made to a woman's group about the 4th of July, it was it's an awesome, awesome speech. He begins to praise what the Declaration of Independence stands for, and then, but he always used the language, this great for y'all, this great for you. I'm sure this is amazing, it, you know, for, for what y'all get. 
And then he turns and says, but it's not great for me. I'm a, I'm a former slave and I'm an abolitionist and we don't have, the declaration did not have me in mind. So he says, are you offering me these words to tease me? Because I would like them. I would like that freedom. You see, that took bravery. And obviously we know eventually we, we were all invited into something that initially excluded us so that everybody could celebrate together. But it's imperfect. But in Christ, when you stand for the gospel, it is most perfect. There's nothing missing in this declaration. For freedom, Christ has set you free. That is your declaration of independence. You are no longer, you're independent of sin because you're now dependent on God. So now what do you do? do? You've got to stand in it or you've got to get it. Stand on it. Stand firm on it. You know, we used to, I think nowadays we're kind of confused about what to stand for. And I think when we, were, when we were raised young in school, um, there was no question. You stood up every day, you, you recited, you know, the Pledge of Allegiance, then you, you sang, my country tis of thee, sweet land of liberty, of thee I sing. Land where our fathers died, land where the pilgrims cried, from every mountainside, let freedom ring. You know, I'm amazed at how our nation's uh, strategic plan was to continuously get us, the citizens, to speak about freedom in a way that was consistent with how they wanted it viewed. It's the same principle with the gospel. Your declaration is for freedom, Christ has set me free. You can't be ashamed of that gospel. In the same way we sang that song, we said the pledge, you have to be bold about your faith. And when you are bold about your faith, you do what Paul is doing. He's trying to save the Gentile people who are coming into faith from thinking that there's anything that they need to do besides surrender to the gospel. They were already giving up their Hellenistic ways. They were already giving up their Greek gods, their immorality and everything else. And they shouldn't have to exchange it for this Christian way of living that, 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 that was mixed in with Judaism and, and, and rituals. You know what, to me, I, I thought when I was studying for this, I thought this is the making of cult behavior. Where any person can stand up and add something to the gospel and tell you this is your only way in. We're the elite group. It can't be challenged. This is the only way to salvation when God made the only way of salvation. It's not true. So if you are independent of sin and dependent upon God, then you need to stand firm on it. And if you can't stand firm on it, you need to get it. You need to stand firm and see the salvation of the Lord. You know the last part of this this, this verse, I call it part C. It says, and do not submit again to the yoke of slavery. Submission's definition means to willingly, willingly yield control to another. You know why that scripture had to be in there? It's because we believe in the 
first work of salvation, but we don't believe in the continued work of salvation, which is sanctification. It's a process. And so sometimes we think about salvation as being a zap button that got rid of every fleshly desire that you would ever have, instead of that he imparts to you eternal life and neither shall you perish, neither shall any man pluck you from hand. He gives you that spiritual security. He gives you that born, that was just born of flesh to flesh, that was born of spirit to spirit. But he still says you need to be transformed by the renewing of your mind. There are things in your past that you remember doing that can, that can bring you back. Like I say, if we look back, we can all get stuck. We all had to leave something behind. I had to leave a girlfriend behind. I had to leave friends behind. I had to live ways of thinking behind. And, and something in your natural man will always want you to gravitate back to the things that made you comfortable in your sin life. And something about the gospel where you can, you can somehow say God is sanctifying you, setting you apart for holy and noble use, but yet we keep on attaching things to the lifestyle that are not consistent with the way of the gospel. And it's not good. He said, don't be enslaved again. You know those things that you've been enslaved to. We don't, I, if I was having a personal counseling session with all of you or somebody was having one with me, we, we, it wouldn't take us long if we were being honest to find the things that you were enslaved to. They still have a hold of you. They grip your mind, they grip your behavior, they grip your, grip your body. Some of them are riddled with lust, some of them are riddled with hatred. And in fact, let's just go, let's conclude with looking at the scripture and it will leave no confusion. Look how Paul says it in Galatians 5 and and so let's start at the 16th verse. This is how he gets you to sum, not submit again to the yoke of slavery. You got to understand there's a war going on. Verse 16, but I say, walk by the spirit or live by the spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. If you want to know the secret to not going back, you got to live a life of the spirit. The spirit that leads you and guides you into all truth and reminds you that you're free. Verse 17, for the desires of the flesh are against the spirit and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. Now, now the works of the flesh are evident. So if you want to know if you're slipping back into bondage and not taking advantage of the gospel that makes you free from all of these things, here's what your life looks like. Here's what bondage looks like. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery. Almost every TV show now got a witch in it. Enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, and the like of these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God, but the fruit of the Spirit. If you want to know what a, what a bondage-free life looks like, it looks like love and joy and peace patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control against such things. There is no law. And those who belong to Christ, those who have freedom in Christ, have crucified the flesh with his passions and his desires. And if we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. I, as I give you my final thought about all of this, 
I can imagine when we as human beings have to do all of the fighting for ourselves, or we feel like we have to do all the fighting for ourselves, a false narrative um, kind of builds up that I'm saving myself, I'm delivering myself, and somehow we're neglectful to give God praise for his mercy that has shown up and because he is the deliverer. Whether he delivers through your hands, someone else's hands, or through an angel, he is the one that sets up the deliverance and all of the freedom and independence. And while it appears as if man were determining their independence, it's something that God had to allow. They couldn't get through it without his grace. You just need to look at the history story fully to see, to see that. And as imperfect as it is, it, a weekend like this weekend gives us an opportunity to make some same, similar declarations. Will we declare our independence from sin and bondage in that way of life for a pure gospel? Some of us have been ensnared simply because we have Christ plus something. That was my problem. Christ plus my effort, my holiness, my way of doing, my morality. I actually made the statement one time, God, I don't really need much of your grace. You know, you can use your grace on other people. I'm I'm one of your guys who do it right. You see what I'm saying? That self-righteous spirit. When you start doing it all yourself, the celebration, you just watch it around our nation, will be about what we have done. And somehow what God has done in his mercy gets lost. I'm saying that stand firm in the pure gospel. Stand firm and don't, don't get entangled again in the yoke of bondage. And if something has you bound, Why live that way when you've been reminded on this day of independence that Christ has given you freedom? And if the Son has set you free, you're free indeed. Bow your head, close your eyes. Who the Son sets free is free indeed. Who the Son sets free is free. Who the Son sets free is free indeed. Who the sun sets free is free. Lord, I pray that we as a people will be very cognizant of the freedom that's in you. If a perverted version of the gospel has entered into our heart or our mind, if we've added works to the work you have done, will you forgive us? We understand afresh that freedom is only in you as a gift from you through Christ alone, by faith alone, through grace alone. Continue to bless us with this revelation. In Jesus' name.